Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. We're so glad that you're here with you. I want to welcome those of you watching online and all of those of you at our McKinney campus. Will you join me in welcoming them? We're so glad that you guys are with us today. Well, here we are in this final moment series. It's an exciting time. We're moving quickly towards Easter. And I gotta say, we're so excited as a church family about how all of you have gotten, you know, really caught this vision of what Easter can be. You know, we, I, as this week as I've been walking around and driving around and running, I've seen yard signs everywhere and I've seen people wearing t-shirts and people posting things online. And, and we're really excited this year about this kindness card. We've been asking you to do this. We said, hey, we wanna partner with you in reaching your friends. And the great thing we love about all of you guys is that when we ask you to do something, you do it and you do it with a great heart and you do it in amazing ways. So I was getting excited. I was like, man, I wanna hear some of the cool stories that are happening with our kindness cards. I'll share them with the church, you'll get all excited. And so I talked to our team and our team was like, Jed, there's a problem with that. I was like, what? Those are invitations to Easter and Easter hasn't happened yet. So we, we don't really have any stories. But I was like, it turns out they're actually, you know, I've been, I did a couple of those kindness cards. I'm hoping it's gonna work. I was like, come on, somebody's gotta have a story somewhere. They said, well, one thing did happen. One of our pastors was in the drive-thru line at Starbucks Somebody paid for his coffee and gave him a kindness card, so our pastors are gonna come to Easter. It's powerful. It's exciting, that's always a good sign. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're in this final moment series on the way towards Easter. We've been looking at Jesus in this great, rich, incredible passage of scripture theologians like to call the farewell discourse from John 14 to John 17. All takes place over the course of one night this incredible, significant night. We've already talked about it. We've already celebrated communion. It's that same night, and we're gonna look a little bit more about what Jesus said at the end of that night together with his disciples. But it's also Palm Sunday weekend. Palm Sunday, an incredible time, really the kickoff of the culmination of the Easter week. If you're not familiar, Palm Sunday is this, this moment that was prophesied that the king, that the Messiah would come and make a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Think of it like this, it's kinda like a one-man victory parade and he comes in and everybody's shouting and cheering and the disciples are super excited because the disciples in their mind are like, finally the whole city is getting it, everybody's figuring this out. We're about to go viral, this is gonna be incredible, we're gonna be famous and these people are celebrating, the religious people get mad, they start going, Jesus, this is over the top. These people are saying that you're the savior and they're worshiping you, that's against the law. And you're thinking like, that's kind of tense. What's gonna happen in this moment? And Jesus turns to him and goes, if the people don't cry out, the rocks will. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was there that day, and there were a bunch of religious internet trolls saying, talking trash to Jesus, and he said that, I'd have been like, oh snap, you just got roasted. Like I'd have been excited in that moment. Well, I guess that's just me, but I would have been excited in that moment. Jesus put them in their place. But then something happens, interesting. The disciples didn't really understand what was going on. They still really hadn't fully put together that Jesus was coming to the city, not just to be celebrated and worshiped, but to lay down his life as a sacrifice for the whole world. But Jesus was understanding that way, and so somewhere off to the side, he just kind of pulls off and scripture gives us a little insight. Before we get to John 17, I want us to look at this. Luke 19, look at what Jesus says. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I read something like that, and I, I immediately think, well, what's making him cry? Why is, he, why is he sad? Why is he being moved to this kind of emotion? What is it? Is he afraid of what's about to happen? Well, in just a moment, he's gonna tell us. But I, I don't know about you and your life, but in my life, that moment where someone that you love or someone that you care about or someone that you have a relationship with, if all of a sudden they start crying, it's a little awkward. You're like, what did I do? What happened? What's wrong? Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but in my house, it happens all the time. I have to ask people all the time, why are you crying? Probably 12 times this week, I asked somebody in my house, why were you crying? Now, I'll be honest, full vulnerability, some of those times, it was me. And I asked myself, why are you crying? And you know, I, I'll cry because I'm happy, I'll cry because I'm sad. I was just kind of that way emotionally. A couple weeks ago, we were driving to church all of us as a family, and I'll just give you a little window into our world, those of you in McKinney as well, think about this. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, those of you online. We're driving in the car and I turn around and my seven-year-old man-child, he's seven years old, about 90 pounds, he said to me this week, he goes, Dad, check this out. Have you met these two guys? This is Jack and this is Johnson. Kisses his muscles. That really happened, this is not like a cool story. He starts crying in the back seat, just, I mean, huge crocodile tears on the way to church. I was like, man, this is not good. I was like, son, what's going on? He goes, dad, I just thought of something. I said, oh no, what, what is it, son? He's like, you're old. And when I grow up, you're gonna die. I was like, it's okay, son. I'm eating kale and I'm off soda. I'm gonna live a long time. I says, like, okay, dad, I kind of get him calmed down. That's why I exercise, not really because I like it. I'm trying to live long enough to see your kids. He's like, okay, dad. So we drive a little bit further, he's feeling better, we're about to pull into church, and he hits me with this one. Dad, when I get older, I'm not going to church. I was like, that's a problem. <laughs> it's like, if anybody finds out, they may not let me be a pastor anymore. But before I could even say anything, his little sister who's six pipes up and goes, Luke, what's wrong with you? If you're a Christian, you go to church. His mom, now both of their moms in the front seat smiling. She thinks it's awesome. Then Lila hits him with this one. If you don't go to church, you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you go to hell. I'm like, man, what is happening in the car right now? Lukey goes, no, Lila. He goes, no, that's not why you go to hell. He goes, you go to hell if you don't put your trust in Jesus. And I did that a long time ago. It's like, I'm not even sure what's happening. I open the door, we walk into the church, the guy at the back door is kinda like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not sure, pray for me. But here's, what, here's why I'm saying all this. They go, Dad, can you tell stories about us? Oh yeah, I'll tell that one. Anyways, <laughs> in these moments, when we feel the weight, when we feel moved, when we have these emotions, we don't know how to process them. A lot of times we try to stuff it, we try to push it away, but I love the thing about Jesus. He was so aware of his heart that he shows us exactly why he was crying. He goes on to say this, how I wish today that you of all under people, he's talking about Jerusalem, that you of all people would understand the way to peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. What moved Jesus to tears? What moved him to tears as he's making his way towards the cross is the fact that there were people all around him. He actually goes on later in the passage to say this, that people miss the moment when God came near to them. What makes Jesus cry? What moves him emotionally? When people who don't know him have a chance to meet God and they miss him, it breaks Jesus' heart. Which really 
interestingly enough, connects us back to John 17 where I told you to go. Now John 17, as we've been saying, it's the night. Here's what's happening so far. They've, they've had the whole week. They've been working through the, the situation. They've been having the Last Supper. The, you would understand it, or if, you, if you're familiar with the, all of Scripture, you'd know it as the Passover meal. They didn't know it as the Last Supper. They understood it as the celebration of Passover, the big Jewish moment, the greatest moment of the Jewish calendar. They thought it was a celebration. They didn't know it was gonna turn dark, but then Judas begins to betray Jesus and he leaves and it's this awkward moment and he's explaining to them, I'm gonna die. They're like, no, don't ever let that happen. He's like, it's gonna happen. Here's what you need to know and he begins to teach them. Don't worry, I won't leave you as orphans as Pastor T talked about and in this world you'll have trouble and as Pastor Jim shared with us, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. But when he comes to the end of this whole time together, remember, it's Thursday night. In less than 24 hours, he'll, in just a few hours, he'll be arrested, he'll be tried, he'll be beaten, he'll be flogged, he'll hang on a cross. In less than 24 hours, he will be dead and buried in the ground. You talk about pressure, you talk about challenge, you talk about problems and the weight of the world, and the incredible thing about Jesus, I don't know how you'd respond to pressure. I, I know I'm not Jesus, and I wouldn't respond this way. He begins to pray. He closes their time together. John 17, theologians call it the high priestly prayer. For the sake of time, we're not gonna read the whole thing. It's really, there's three parts. The first part, he's praying to God about his own soul and what he's going through and how he's working things out. Then he begins to pray for the disciples. You can imagine the stress, the, the challenge, what they're about to endure, what they're, what's gonna be required of them. And then maybe you've never noticed this before. What an incredible picture into the heart of Jesus couple thousand years ago. Incredible, unfathomable pressure and adversity. The Bible says the pain was so intense that in the garden later, when he went to pray, he, he was sweating blood. I don't even understand how that works. And yet, look what he does with all those things happening. You know what was on Jesus' mind? You and I. Look with me here, John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Anyone who was a follower of Christ, anyone who puts their hope and their trust in Jesus, even little Lukey, on that night, thousands of years ago, Jesus was praying for you and he was praying for me. If he was praying in that moment, then I would wager to guess that what he's praying is incredibly significant, incredibly important, and he wants you and I to understand what a big deal this is. Here's what he's praying. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I want you to notice this. Then, then the world, when they're one, when they're one like you and I are one, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have, and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's what this passage is saying. Well, it's incredible that Jesus is praying for you and I. He wants us to be one the way that he and the Father are one. Here's why this is so important. When we reflect God this way, when his followers reflect God this way, the world will believe in Jesus. And when we love each other, people will see the love of God available for their own life. You know, that's a big passage, it's a lot. 
I like to summarize it. I like to try and make it simple. What's the thesis? What's the big idea? What's Jesus trying to say to us? Well, I believe it's simply this. During Jesus' greatest moments of pressure and difficulty, he prayed for us. He asked God that his people would be one. You know, sometimes people say, Jed, you seem like such, like, why is it such a big deal? Why do you care so much about the church? Why do you care so much about when God's people come together and gather and worship in your name? I know that's kind of, like, isn't that something that's kind of antiquated? Like, we have technology and we have information now. You can get content from God. You can get stuff all the time. You don't need really the church as a gathering and as a place. That's kind of something people did in the past. Why are you so into that? Is it just because it's your job? Let me just make it really simple. Why, why am I into it? Why do I think it's incredible when God's people come together and worship in his name? Why is that such a big deal to me? Here's the really simple reason. It may not be that profound because it's a really big deal to Jesus. He basically says, if this, is, if this can happen, the whole world will experience my love and be forever changed. Now I know sometimes we hear that and you think, okay, really, is it that important? I wanna think about it for just a moment. Let's consider it. You ever do that, just stop and let's think about it for a second. Now I know some of you, if you're like me, you go, I, I don't know, Jed, like this whole thing about being one, loving each other, being of one mind, having unity, thinking about others, preferring others. I know for some people, like we all know we should do that, like that's something we should aspire to, but isn't that just like a personality thing? Aren't some people wired that way more than others? And maybe that's the case. I'll tell you this though, I'm not wired that way. It, it, selfishness comes really simple to me. I don't even have to try that hard. I just wake up selfish now. You're like, why are you a pastor then? Well, I think really we all are that way at some level. I'm the guy on the freeway who's trying to find a gap to drive past you because I got places to go and, and people to meet and things that are important. Most of it's meeting with you guys. But, but I'm also the guy who's at the grocery store. You're like this too, come on. We're all like this. That's why they let us check ourselves out now. Because when we're in the grocery store line, we're trying to figure out what one's faster. You're like, okay, this checker, I believe in her. She's really gonna knock out this line fast. And I don't know, anybody ever done this? I would have been in that place in line. I made it, I beat it, I, I was faster than it. You walk out happy out of the grocery store. You're like, you got mental problems, maybe. Pray for me. Here's another one. When you're at the airport, my wife and I have a totally different strategy. She wants to look at a magazine, drink a coffee, wait as long as possible to board the airplane. I don't even understand that. There's no part of my being that understands that mentality. I'm trying to think of something higher than platinum. I'm trying to think of a reason why I'm on a mission from God. Will you let me on the plane faster? I'm trying to get there quick and fast. They say group number four, boarding. I'm group six. Well, I'm kind of, I feel like a four. I'm just gonna go with them. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, we got to go. We got to get there. Now, listen, I'll smile. I'll be nice to you. And if you move as fast as I do, I'll be like, come on, let's go together. We can have fun. But what I'm not trying to do is be a doormat and let everyone else go in front of me. And yet Jesus is saying, Jed, listen, the hope of my kingdom, the hope of the whole message of my love for humanity getting out is contingent on your ability to put others first and to love others. Why is this so hard for us? Why is this so hard? Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of different reasons, but this might be the biggest one. We live with this tension. All of us live with the tension, and here's the tension. We live with this desire. What we really wanna be is comfortable and independent. For a lot of us, that sounds like success. 
If I could just make enough money, if I could just be so successful that I could live wherever I wanted to live, that I could do whatever I wanted to do and I wouldn't need anything from anyone else, man, my life would be amazing. We think, if I could just get there, and maybe in some small way, maybe you're there today, maybe in some small way you get there, but then there's this other problem. When you get there after a while, you go, this is kind of boring, and then you're left with this other tension that says, but I want my life to matter, I want to be significant. If you've ever been the parent of small children, you understand what this is like. It's weird, we're all conflicted on the inside. You know when your kids are little and you just dream about bedtime and you keep checking your watch, how much longer? You're like, it's 4.30, close enough, let's put them to bed, right? (laughs) Those days seem so long. And then you have this feeling. You put them to bed, 45 minutes later you go, I wonder what the kids are doing. Yeah, yeah, remember when they did that? That was hilarious when they said that. Remember when they did that? It was so cute. Let's go look at them. Let's wake them up. You are a crazy person. We do this. One of the best leadership books I read recently, maybe you're thinking, well, this is just a church thing. No, I really believe it's a human thing. One of the best leadership books I've read recently, a little red book. I was attracted to the title. The title of the book is called Powerful. I love that word. I say it all the time. That's powerful. And the woman who wrote this book, her name's Patty McCord. She ran HR for a little company you may have heard of called Netflix. Now when she came on to the company, they were just really a distributor. Their big competition was Blockbuster. They sent DVDs in the mail. Remember those days? Like back when we had the abacus and they just figured out fire and the wheel? But she said when she first came on to the company, what happened was is they they were overstaffed they had this initial seed money, they were overstaffed. She, her first job when she came on was to get rid of a third of all the employees. Imagine that, McKinney, you're over an area, you have to get rid of a third of the employees. Then the DVD prices plummeted and became the hot Christmas gift, so the demand tripled. So your team went way down, and then the demand went way up. She thought, I thought it would be the worst thing that ever happened to the company. It turned out it was the best thing that ever happened because it forced us to become a great team. And here's what she said. Every great team, whether it's a company, a family, a church, whatever it is, a sports team, they do two things really well. They have a clear goal and they're willing to sacrifice to get there. Think about that. I don't know what your work environments have been like. I know the greatest work environments that I've been like and I'm so grateful our team is like this here at Milestone. There's a clear goal and you're willing to sacrifice to get there because you're grateful to be on the team. How many of you filled out a bracket for the final four? You know, yeah, I, I wasn't gonna do one this year, then my friend said, come on, Jed, do it, so I did, and it's terrible, and it's an exercise in humility, and I don't like it, but, but here's what happens. In college basketball, it's not about the most talented, it's not about who has the best name or the best uniforms, it's about who's the best team. If you have a team that's willing to sacrifice, they do really well. And I didn't watch enough college basketball to figure out what the best teams were, so I'm being humiliated, and I guess it's good for my character. I don't like it that much. You can laugh there, it's kind of funny. Maybe not, you get to be the judge of whether it's funny or not. Here's the thing, another area, I I could give you area after area. You study about the military. One of the things that's most difficult for military people to transition from combat back to civilian life They say, what's wrong with me? I miss the days of combat. There's something wrong with me. And here's what the sociologists and the doctors have figured out. The reason why they miss the combat, they don't like the violence, they don't like the killing, none of that. They like the sense of, I was on a a team 
where we were willing to sacrifice for each other and there was a clearly defined goal that we were all moving in the same direction and civilian life doesn't, ha doesn't have that. Why do I keep belaboring this point? Because Jesus is really smart. Here's the clearly defined goal that the whole world would know and experience the love of God. How does that happen? You and I have to sacrifice to be a part of it. But when we do, it doesn't sound like something we want, but when we do, life becomes so much better. If you think about it, think about the other place in scripture where Jesus said, you'll become one. It's when a husband becomes one with a wife. How does that work? When you make the other person do what you want? I'm 23 years in, I can tell you, that's terrible advice. Here's how it works. The, the greatest days of my marriage, and there have been many, many, many of them, are not when I'm trying to get to Sarah to do what I want. The greatest days in my marriage is when somehow by the grace of God, I wake up and I go, Jesus, it's not about me. I don't love her on the basis of her deserving your love. I love her on the basis of my love for you and the way that you love me, I can then go love her. That doesn't just help your marriage. That helps every relationship in your life. If we're gonna be a church that loves others, that loves our community, that loves so well that people see Jesus in us, the only way that'll happen is not by willpower, not by duty, not by religious obligation, but when we come to the understanding that the way I love my neighbor, the way that I love each other, the way that I love the people in my community ultimately shows the love I have for God. When you love God and when you see how good he is, you begin to see the people in your life through his eyes. I wanna pray for you, but before I do, I wanna, I wanna just stop for a moment and think, okay, that's why this is so important. What could happen? What might happen if we actually started to live this way? What happens when the church becomes one? Well, the first thing is this, we create a loving environment. We create a loving environment. You know what people want when they come in to a place like Milestone, when they come into your home, when they come into your workplace, when they come into anywhere? They wanna feel like somebody sees them, somebody cares about them, and somebody values the fact that they're there. And the great news is, there's so many ways to do this. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to be a, a preacher. You don't have to be a Bible expert. All you have to do is care about people. You know, I love our parking lot team. They're out there not just trying to put people in spaces and do it begrudgingly, they're out there demonstrating the love of God by helping people as quickly and as easily as possible find their way into this place so they can worship and meet with God and meet all of you. I love our coffee team, our hospitality team. I love our greeters. I love the way people walk parents and families the first time they come to church or whenever they come to church. They walk them over, they help them get checked in. Every single one of those expressions of love matters. Here's the thing, there's not one person in our church who can love everybody, but every person in our church can love somebody. And let me just tell you, the whole atmosphere changes. When you show up to church and say, God, give me one chance to show someone else your love. You might think, well that sounds like work or that sounds like obligation. Here's what I promise, when you come to church and you say, God, I wanna come to show somebody else the love of God today, here's what happens. You experience his love in a way that you can't any other way. God's so generous. He's not looking to take from you. He's wanting to make your experience so much greater. The second thing is this. We express the diversity of God's character. You know, people are funny. People are unique. People are different. They're like all different kinds of things. 
Some people like fast music, some people like slow music. Some people like hymns, some people like jokes, most people like jokes. Some people like this, some people like that. There's not one thing that everybody likes, but the beauty of the diversity of God's character, the Bible actually says in Ephesians 3 that God's character, his love, is as manifold, it's as wide as the entire color spectrum. It's even wider than that. See, when you come to a church, some people think, well, they all sing the same way, or they all dress the same way, or they all talk the same way. Not in this place. We like different things. We come from different places, and we still love each other. Pastor Jeff all the time tries to get me to love country music. I'm like, I got a country music starter kit, okay? Like, Johnny Cash, I'm in. An occasional, like, there's a few things that I like, but I just can't see myself going full country, I, I, I try to tell him, I'm like, Pastor Jeff, we're friends, we love each other. Just some ways we gotta stay different. I'm from the streets, I love hip hop. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, it's true. Like, where is this guy? No, but here's the thing, we're better together because of that. See, the moment we all try to make each other, and here's the incredible thing, in a church, it's all different kinds of things that help people connect to God. You know, people come in and they say, well, I like this, and when I was here, I experienced this, and when I hear, I experienced that. It's not just one thing. You know, you realize this, as a pastor and as a parent, you realize this, you'll coach people, you'll pastor them, you'll tell them things, and you'll be like, man, I feel the presence of God in this moment. I got a word from the Lord. I almost got slain in the spirit, giving my count. There are moments where I'm coaching people where I listen to what I'm saying and I'm like, I'm not that smart, I didn't even make that up. I'm trying to write it down without acting like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll be like, man, their life is about to be changed. And they go, I don't think that way. And I walk off. I'll be like, what happened? Then they come back later and they go like, man, God did this credible thing in my life. And I said, well, what'd they, t- what'd they say to you? Well, they said this. I was like, that's exactly what I told you. They're like, no, no, you didn't say that, but they did and they're really smart. And then here's the point. On a great team, you have to realize it's not about you getting the credit. Because here's the bottom line. It happens with my own kids. I have teenagers, I corner them all the time. I'm just preaching at them, and I'm preaching at them. And then we laugh and love and have fun, but then I'm preaching at them again, right? So then they go off to like student weekend or they go to Elevate, they're like, Dad, you'll never guess what Pastor T said. It was like heaven itself opened up and he brought the word. I go, what'd he say? And they tell me and I go, I've been telling you that since you were four years old. They're like, huh, we didn't know that. But here's the thing, I'm so grateful for our team and for Pastor T and all the student people because the great thing about being in a church where people love each other and wanna serve and help each other is it's not just about you and your strength and your gifts and once you get over the get, getting the credit, you realize what an incredible thing. What an incredible thing that you don't have to be everything to the person in your life who's far from God. You don't have to be the theologian, the singer, the the coffee dispenser, the youth worker. You've got a whole team of people who say, hey, bring them over here. We'll love them. We'll help them. We'll serve them. And you get to experience the benefit of the growth that happens in their lives. What an incredible opportunity that we all have. Here's the third thing. We welcome others into the family. When we're one, People experience, there's this loving environment. You see the full character, the full expression of God's character, and then finally the family keeps growing. Man, I love being in a family that keeps growing. I love, but there's nothing greater 
than being a church where you didn't have anything to do with anything about a story that happens and you'll be like, did you hear about so-and-so? Their life is totally changed. They were, not, they were nowhere near to God and God this, did this incredible thing and you didn't do anything to make it happen but you get to celebrate and be a part of what's happening in their lives. What an incredible privilege. What a great opportunity to be in a place where lives are constantly changing. You have a part to play, every one of us. We have a role, we have a responsibility, we have an opportunity. The great thing is, our love for God grows as we stop making it about us and we start making it about how do I serve and help someone else. The incredible thing is, this is scalable. See, cool is not scalable. Not everybody can be cool, not everybody can be talented, not everybody can be gifted, but everybody can be loving. You're like, Jed, is this one of those messages, man? Are you just trying to get us to go out and tell strangers and tell people about Jesus? Maybe. I'm trying to get you to a place where you think, man, how do I help the people in my life who are far from God? Why is that such a big priority? Because it's a big priority for Jesus. Now, before I pray for you, I found somebody special in the community. His name is Jax. And I thought I could keep telling you what I want you to do, but I thought, man, Jax was willing and courageous enough to go first and give us a great picture of what it looks like to care about our community. Let's watch this together. Look at Jax. Go to my church! <laughs> wow. Go to my church! <laughs> Who are you yelling at? At the board so they can go to my church. Go to my church! <laughs> And done. I love how he puts his hand on the side. He's like, take that, birds. Now listen, I don't know if birds are showing up for Easter, but if they come, we'll welcome them with the love of Jesus. Here's the point. Well, here's what we call, we like to say this around here. I think Pastor Jeff said this a few weeks ago. You could use this online, use it in McKinney. I love this little phrase. Here's what we love about Jax. He has a great heart. He just has bad strategy, right? And that's what we all want. We all want to have a great heart. Jesus just put me in. You know what the great thing is? I think God loves us so much, even when our strategy's not great, when our heart is right, he uses us anyways. If we just say, man, I'll yell, I don't care. I want somebody to know that God loves them, that God cares about them. It doesn't matter if it's a door knocker or a yard sign or if you accost the birds in our city, however you do it, when the love of God starts to come through your life, it creates an opportunity for someone who's far from God to come home. And the incredible benefit is, it's not just them who benefits. Every time God uses you to make a difference in someone else's life, you come home a little bit closer to Jesus yourself. In that same passage, Jesus makes this incredible statement to his disciples. He said, if anyone loves me, he'll obey, and every time they obey, my Father will come and make his home in them. God doesn't just want you to come home. He doesn't just want the people in your family to come home. He doesn't just want your neighbors or coworkers. Believe me, he does. He's so serious about him, it brings him to tears. But that's not all he wants. He wants to make his home in you. What does this look like practically? Well, before we even come to the services, we invite our friends, we invite our families. I know what this is like. Like Jed, I've asked them before, they won't come. I've asked them before, they get mad, they get offended. They might, or they might come. Easter's one of those moments where there's a window of openness, a unique opportunity 
And a week from now, we'll be gathered in this place, worshiping, and you know what'll happen? There'll be story after story after story of people going, I can't believe what God did in the life of my friend, my family member, my coworker. I'm blown away. And here's why I'm saying that. Not to make you feel obligated or guilty or try to force you to invite somebody or force you to do something. I don't want you to miss out because the Spirit of God is in our community moving on the lives of people and every one of us can be involved with that if we want. So we invite people. We pray for them. We serve them. We buy them coffee. We do everything we can to love them. When we come to church, we think about, I'm going to serve. I'm going to care. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to come to church looking for the opportunity to love somebody else, to help them get connected. If they're alone in the commons, I'm going to go up and greet them. I'm going to smile. I'm going to say, thank you for coming. We're so glad that you're here. We see you and we value. Every one of us can do that. And the more this becomes a loving place, the more people experience God's presence come to a different service. You, I'd encourage you, be praying for that Wednesday night service. We realized a, a couple months ago that these Wednesday nights are a great opportunity. We have thousand, a thousand students who come to our, our student ministries. And here's the thing, not all of them come on the weekend, and a lot of their parents don't come to church at all. So we figured if they're not coming to us, we'll go to them. We make that a moment, and we'll see incredible outpouring of God's uh, heart and spirit on that night, but it'll happen every service. Be praying, be thinking, be serving. God wants to do great things. He's so serious about it. He prayed about it on the night he would give his life. He prayed that you and I would be one. Let's pray together. Jesus, we feel your heart. Lord, you, you want every person who's far from you to come home. Lord, they're never far from your mind. That's why when we start to think about them, we feel your presence. Maybe you're here today and you say, Jed, I, I don't know how to bring somebody else home. I'm not even home myself. Well, as Pastor Jeff said earlier in the service, the message of Jesus is not clean yourself up. It's not do more spiritual stuff. It's you couldn't do it, so I did it for you. And right now, just as you are, you can come into a relationship with me. If that's you, this can be your moment. This can be your time. The week before the week can be the moment that you come home to Jesus. And then the moment you come home, you're ready to bring somebody else home. I know many of us, we have a relationship with Jesus. And as if you've heard my words, and as we're together in this moment, there's names and there's faces and there's people in your life. God, we pray for every person, every name, every family member, every coworker, every neighbor, every person who's been invited before or didn't come, they even got mad about it. God, we're praying that this time would be different. Lord, we're praying that we would be one, not just so that we could feel strong or good about ourselves or build an organization, but that the whole world would know that you love them and that you're available to them and that they can put their trust in you. God, we thank you for everything that you're doing now and that you'll do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 